Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, very pleasant. Uh, good afternoon to you. We're starting a little bit late today because Mike Stone was getting his beauty rest. I'm just kidding. It just worked out like this. So I, it was great. I had the morning off and went to the farmer's market and we had a good time, but we usually start at 10. But hey, hey, uh, it's OneRadioNetwork.com. Thanks for being here. If you'd like to join the show, you can do so using the telephone. I know people don't do that anymore because it, it doesn't involve your thumbs, but you can just pick it up and it works. 888-663-6386. Email patrick at oneradionetwork.com. It is a Wednesday, the 9th of August. With us on this early afternoon is Mike Stone. Mike's a cool guy. He has a website called V. I'll give you the website right here. It's V-I-R-O-L-I-E-G-Y. Mike Stone, how do you pronounce that? Because I've never been able to pronounce that. How do you pronounce that? Oh, I just pronounce it virology. virology. But I've, I've heard other, you know, like virology, <laughs> or uh, I think Tom, Dr. Tom Count has like 10 or 12 different pronunciations for it. I see. So, yeah. Uh, just uh, Mike is a great uh, website and he has a little newsletter that will tell you how you can get involved in. I, I just pay six bucks a month. I mean, hey, look at this. Look at, look at that face on that guy. You don't think he's worth $6 a month? I mean, that's a half a, half a Starbucks. Come on. And anyway, um, <laughs> it's a half a Starbucks these days. My, and Mike has uh, joined a whole group of people, and he was involved with the, in the COVID work and also with the Cowans and Kaufmans and Bomers and the Baileys of the world saying, you know what, folks, there just ain't any germs. So we talked to Mike uh, from time to time, and he just got back from vacay, and he had some interesting ideas about why people come back from vacay and start to feel all snotty but there's no germs, so what's up with feeling snotty after vacation, Mike Stone? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's that's the thing. You know, every time someone goes on vacation or they have a holiday, we see stories of people coming down with colds, you know, right. cold symptoms or flu symptoms. It's a very common theme. You, you see it all the time in, in the media, and we hear stories from our, our relatives, our coworkers, right. everyone about how they came down they must have caught something while they're on vacation or or over their break and um you know that that's the 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 narrative that is put out there in the media is that um it's really interesting when you when you look at these articles they're like well our bodies when we're at home you know when we're in our regular environment our bodies are really used to the viruses that we come into contact with hmm. so our immune system knows how to handle these viruses but when we step out of our comfort zone you know we go we go traveling to a different state or a different country well there's they have their own viruses they're similar to the ones that we encounter in our home turf but they're just different enough that our immune systems don't know how to deal with them and that's how they basically infect us um and they, so they have this nice uh, narrative. It's also bacteria. You know, they, they talk about viruses and bacteria. Um, and, and they have this narrative built around the concept of the immune system. So, you know, we have this system, the immune system that supposedly protects us from these pathogenic entities. Um, but, you know, you can explain why people come down with colds or flu-like symptoms on vacations um, or even holidays without even needing to resort to viruses, bacteria, or an immune system. 
uh, it just the I, you know the act of actually tra traveling it's an exhausting experience you know you're going uh, whether you're going on a road trip or you're taking a flight you're you're putting your body through something it's not really used to and I, I and everyone's gone through this experience when sure. you know they go on a flight and they just feel exhausted you know you're, you're going on a vacation but at the same time that vacation physically takes a toll on your body um you're going to a different environment so yeah you're going to have like different temperatures humidity they they admit within these articles that uh you know just the the change in climate the change in temperature can impact your body uh and can cause you to have symptoms of disease if you're if you're in an environment of low humidity that affects your nasal passages it dries it out and it can cause congestion sore throat irritation and things like that and so there's no you don't need to resort to a virus or a bacteria in order to explain why you might be coming down with some congestion on on a vacation or or in a flight which flights typically have low humidity when you're on an airplane um on top of that you know when we're going on vacations we most of us aren't very careful with what we're eating right or drinking a lot of times we tend to overindulge a little bit but i know i did and i i know all this stuff and i still sure, you know you can not? try and prepare for it as much as you want to and but I you're gonna do it. Yeah, you're gonna do it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like, you know what? I needed caffeine, so I went to the nearest Starbucks, even though I know that stuff's basically poison. I still <laughs> drank it because I needed some caffeine to stay awake for these long right. <laughs> um, days on the road. Um, so I was drinking a lot more caffeine than normal. Um, we would go to restaurants, and we'd have to try the desserts. You're down in the south, yeah. like there was this. Uh, banana bread warm banana bread pudding which was oh, my favorite oh, dessert that oh we with tried. the sauce and, on it with the in new orleans with the sauce oh yeah oh yeah sauce like bananas just drizzled on it and <laughs> it, it was amazing we had uh, homemade vanilla ice cream and of course we overindulged and and so we have all these things that we're doing on our vacation and, and of course on top of that you have a lack of sleep like if you're like us when we go on vacations we want to get as much into these days as possible hmm. like different activities enjoying the sights uh seeing what we can exploring and we we didn't get a lot of sleep like i probably got maybe four hours five hours of sleep a night and so you're going on and you're getting some sleep deprivation in there as well so your body is taking on a lot of different challenges that it's not accustomed to in a very short amount of time mm -hmm. you know you're changing up everything and so um I know for me, for myself personally, when I go on vacations, I tend to start feeling a little run down in the first few days. But then my my adrenaline kicks in. I'm like, oh, this is exciting. I'm on vacation. I'm going to do this. And so I start pushing myself a little harder than I, I normally do. And then it's on the way back. Like, especially this time, I noticed it. on the way back, on the drive home, I was like, oh, well, we're going back. It's time for this detox to start happening. And sure enough, that's when it did. I started getting congested. I got, you know, the dry eyes and scratchy throat. Hmm. And, you know, within two, three days of getting home, I just rested. I, I drank plenty of fluids and bounced right back. Yeah. Yeah. But and you can really. A lot of people get afraid yeah. and they're like, I need to go right. to the doctor if I, if I see these symptoms. So. And you can understand because of the whole uh, program of the germ theory, which we'll talk more about and rather that people just kind of glam onto the idea that, oh, we caught something. You know, we, we, we must have caught something there in New Orleans. You know, they got bugs and a lot of viruses and we touched all this stuff. 
And then I, exactly. I understand why they do it, you know, because we've just been programmed for our lifetimes, probably, with <laughs> germs. I don't, I don't know how long, right? Just amazing. Wow. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing. It, it could have, I could have easily, like, I think I said in my article, you know, it's been probably about six years since mm-hmm. I stopped uh, believing in the germ theory. And, you know, six years ago, I probably been like, oh, man, you know, I should have been more protective. Maybe I should have masked up or sanitized, even though that wasn't a thing back then. But, you know, you, you, it would have been something I would have thought. I'm like, oh, yeah, I must have caught something along the way. Maybe uh, we were on a cruise ship and I must have been around someone. I was too close to them. Maybe they coughed on me or maybe the someone put their germs on my food or, you know. Right. Uh, but when you think about that, when you, when you really stop to think about everything that you put your body through on these vacations or even a short time like a holiday when you're gathering with family you know during the holidays and you're eating a bunch of food and and staying up late and and probably drinking some eggnog and different things like that you're putting your body under some different stresses that it's not used to and you're gonna feel probably a little run down at that time and and then you know during the holidays you have the different changes in the temperature and the food in the midwest we get all the snow and everything and the food in the holidays oh my god so yep. I'm, I'm, I was thinking about it when I read. What was the name of the article um, that I read that you sent um, in your newsletter? Was just something about low battery. I was just looking yeah. for it. Yeah. Well, when I yeah, read that's that, the, that's the latest one. That's why I, when I was coming home on this trip, I, I just was like, you know, this is something that I hear all the time. Like, well, uh, I caught something on vacation and. Then my wife caught it too, and my kid caught it too. So, explain that to me. How did I? How did we all get sick? How did we like, all get sick? Yeah. Well, think about it. Yeah. <laughs> You're all on vacation together. You're all going through the same uh, changes that you put your body through. You don't need to rely on a virus or a bacteria or a weakened immune system in order to explain why we're feeling run down. We're we're wearing ourselves out. We're we're draining that battery. One of the things so I thought about last night when I was thinking about talking to you, is that um, when we do the vacation thing or whatever it is to, you know, get all kind of stressed out and things start happening, I'm wondering, the body then still must be strong enough, Mike Stone, to to actually have enough juice to detox, right? You, you still had enough prana there to say, okay, well, let's do some mucus and get rid of some whatever or you know let's do something here to make the throat so i guess if you were really low on the battery scale when you went on vacation you could just feel terrible but you wouldn't even detox is that am i on the right path there that, that you drain yourself to the point where your body just doesn't you can't even do anything I, i'm sure there 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 is a point like depending on the level of toxicity that you're putting yourself through i mean it depends right. on like what you're really exposing yourself to if you're exposing yourself to a lot of different drugs or or alcohol and and really partying up and stuff like that you really could you know potentially drain yourself to a point where uh it it doesn't initiate that process or you get even worse detoxification process that uh you know people might consider a severe disease and have to go to the hospital for or something like that but what i've found and and i don't always get sick after vacation i've just noticed it a little bit more especially um during these periods where we've had these, you know, so-called Canadian wildfires with the the massive amounts of air pollution 
in our and that that's the thing that was interesting to me so before we left on this vacation we had really bad air pollution here in the midwest that they were blaming on the canadian wildfires and so I know when that happens, I typically always come down with a lot of congestion just from being out in the environment and breathing on all this stuff. Um, I get a really bad dry eyes. I get really congested, scratchy throat all the time. Um, and so I was looking forward to getting away to Florida. You know, I'm like, oh, we're going to go down south. I'm going to avoid all this toxic air that we have in the Midwest that they're blaming on these wildfires. And um, before the trip, I was looking at the air quality and the air quality was great and everything. And like four days before we left, I saw an article and they're like, Florida is going to get hit with the dust storm from the Sahara. So air pollution in Florida is going to have <laughs> greater than normal air pollution level. I'm like, are you kidding me? It's always something. I'm yeah. trying to escape the air pollution going south. And you can't do that because apparently the Sahara Desert decided to blow its dust over into Florida. Whether you want to believe that or not, I don't know. But <laughs> right. it's like no matter where you go, you can't escape this polluted air. And so so it's not a shock to me personally when i think of why i'm experiencing respiratory symptoms it's going to be due to what it is i'm breathing in my body is obviously trying to protect me from the different uh toxins whether it's you know the pm 2.5 particular matter that's in the air or, or whatever it is that might be floating out there um that it's trying to keep out of my system and and so it initiates that process uh, you don't need a virus in order to explain what's going on. You can see the visible pollution in the air. When we're driving, you know, you can't even see some of these cities as you're bu going by them because there's so much fog that it's just covered in pollution. Wow. It was pretty amazing as we were driving by even New Orleans. We could barely see downtown because so the the air pollution was that bad. Wow. Wow. Did you go to... Yeah, so I wasn't shocked that I was going to come home with some yeah, congestion. I, I figured that was a... a very good possibility. Did you go to Cafe Du Monde and have a beignets and Cafe au lait? No. Oh, no, I missed man, that one. you missed the, that the, one. <laughs> I, I, I really should. Like, I, I need to talk to people who know who, these areas there, yeah. before I go there because I, I'm sure I missed out on a lot That's of good right. stuff. What restaurant did you go? What restaurants in New Orleans well, one did you go? One was called Brennan's. Oh, I don't know if you've heard of oh, Brennan's. but Very they, popular, very popular. Yeah, it had one of the best steaks I've ever had. Like when you cut into it, it just like it almost felt like you're cutting into butter. Yeah, I've never had a steak that tender before. And then, of course, we overindulged and had this dessert called the banana foster. There, of course, of course, which is basically banana and sugar, sugar. and rum <laughs> <That's right>. and, <laughs> and butter, lots of butter, mainly banana and sugar. Maybe, yeah, Brennan's very popular. People would do breakfast yeah. at Brennan's. A lot of the tourists and that's they, like, that's what we did. It was oh, a brunch. Yeah, the brunch. Yeah. And very popular. It's probably jammed, right, with people. Jammed. Very, very, yeah. A lot of people there. And it was really good food. But, I mean, that's the thing. Uh, could we have planned our trip a little bit better so that we, yeah, yeah. we didn't overindulge? Yes. I, and we've done that. But, you know, every once in a while you want to go there and you want to explore and, and taste the different tastes of the South or, or whatever. Sure. And, and so I knew going in that I was probably going to come back and, and feel a little run down by the end of this vacation. So it wasn't a shock to me. I didn't sit there and think, oh, my gosh, at some point in one of these states, there must have been some virus particles floating through the air. And it hit me at just the right time for it to go in when my immune system was weak from all this traveling. And it was able to hijack my cells and replicate and make a copy of billions of copies in my body. And 
uh, take over and cause these symptoms of disease. It's it's such a far-fetched idea, but that's what people tend to go to. That's, right. that's the solution. That's That's what we've been programmed to believe. We don't look at everything that we're putting our bodies through on these vacations or these holidays. You know, that even though you'll see it admitted in these mainstream articles that those have an effect, they're called, they're basically cofactors. You know, yes, lack of sleep can wear you down. Yes, uh, you know, eating lots of junk food and everything can take a toll on you. And yes, uh, breathing in pollution can have an effect. But those just weaken your immune system to allow for the bacteria and the viruses to come into your body that's and hijack the, it. And the that's what's causing right? the disease, yeah. not all these other things. So, uh, um, uh, Mike Stone is with us, and uh, and Emily wants to ask you about the immune system. I hear She says, I hear Dr. Cowan talk about it, and I'm not sure we even have one. So I'm going to go there right now, Emily. That's a great question, because I've heard Cowan and you talk about it. I mean... Have we just bought into the idea that there is some kind of immune system ready to pounce on things that are attacking us? Has that all been made up, Mike Stone? Is that yeah, just been I mean, made up. Well, it is like to a sense. It's just a it's a theory. It's an idea. They've never actually proven it. It's I, when I started looking into it, I was amazed at how many different theories there are for just antibody production alone. You know they. They have, I believe, at my last count, there's at least six different theories on how uh, antibodies apparently form and, and how they function and what they do um, that have been proposed throughout the years. And so, um, as uh, Emily was saying, there's there's really, you know, if you understand that there's no bacteria, there's no scientific evidence that any there's any pathogenic bacteria or any viruses or any fungus that's going to come in and invade you, mm -hmm. then that automatically shuts down the idea of immune system. There's nothing to be immune from. <laughs> well, that's, a, that's a great line, isn't it? I, There's nothing to be immune from. Isn't it a wonderful right. line? It's, it's beautiful. But but the thing is, it's like I look at it as, as a cleaning. What we have is a cleaning system. Like If you look at everything that our body is designed to do, it takes things in and it releases them, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, when we breathe, we breathe in oxygen and we release the bad oxygen. When we eat, we take what we get from the food and release the food through our digestive system. Um, you know, we, we have a, a cleaning system. And, and that's what I found actually in uh, like an article from 2018. They were, the, the researchers were calling for a, a general theory of immunity. Like we, we need to come together and create this, uh, this theory for what immunity is. And when they're explaining what the immune system is, they're like, we got to stop looking at it as just something that protects us from these pathogenic entities. We have to look at it as something that actually builds and repairs tissues and cleans out the body. I'm like, well, you're not talking about immune system. You're talking about a cleaning system and a repair system. And that's what our bodies are. It's hmm. designed to clean and repair from these different exposures, the, the, the different substances that we're exposing ourselves to, whether it's through our food, our water, our air. You know, whether it's the stresses that we're under, if we're getting enough sleep or not, you know, it's got a, it's, it's in a constant state of cleaning and repair to get us back to homeostasis, you know, to, to that balance. And so it's not really, it's not an immune system. It's just a cleaning and repair system cleaning, or yeah. a plumbing system of some sort. I like that idea, cleaning and repair system. Um, and you think about, boy, I don't even like to do it anymore. I don't like to fly because it's so weird at the airport, you know, it's like standing in line and taking off your shoes and your belt and going in, you know, like, and then 
they want you to go through a thing. They say, no, just search me. And you can imagine electromagnetic fields around there. I mean, I don't even know how people do it flying back and forth. It's got to be hard on the body. I, hard I on despise the body. it. Hard on the body. <laughs> like some people really seem to enjoy just the flying aspect. To me, I find it exhausting. And even though it takes a shorter time than like a road trip would take, like to me, it's physically and mentally exhausting to go flying on an airplane. And like you said, with all the different red tape that you have to go through now in order to yeah. uh, get on the airplane. And even then, if you buy a ticket, you might even get bumped or, you know, or there might be some complications with your plane. That adds a whole little level of stress or whether or not you get your luggage. I don't like not having that control. And that's one of the reasons why I enjoy road trips, because I feel like I'm I have more control over, mm -hmm. you know, when I'm going, where I'm going if I want to stop and take breaks or different things like that, or if I want to go and sightsee, um, I know flying is necessary, especially in instances where you have to get somewhere quick, but to me, it's not an enjoyable experience. And, and so a lot of people, you know, they sit there and they come up with things like jet lag or different stuff like that, that to explain why they're feeling, you know, symptoms of disease. But then they'll come across, you'll see a CD study saying, well, these people all got sick at the same time. It must have been a coronavirus outbreak on the airplane or something. <laughs> it's just, you don't need that to explain why people are coming down with symptoms in an airplane. Yeah, yeah. Um, do, you, do you think there's anything to the change in temperature? Um, the body must, do you think the body wants to detox if the temperature changes for some reason? Do you have any theories on that? I mean, I, I haven't uh, delved into that too much other than the fact that I do know that when you change up the temperature, your body has to try and regain that balance to what it's used to. You know, that it's it's always looking for equilibrium or homeostasis. And mm -hmm. so um, I, I know in the literature, whether whether you're looking through, you know, mainstream sources or not, they'll they'll openly admit that our climates have a impact impact on our health like the the temperature and the environment that we put our bodies into the body has to adapt and adjust to that environment that we're putting ourselves into and um i know in the past like in some of the old papers i used to read in um they understood that you know the winter months were a big reason for why people experienced uh symptoms of disease because it was such a drastic change from the summer months you know you're going mm -hmm. from warm weather then you're going to this cold uh snow weather you're getting less light different things like that uh you're indoors more instead of being outdoors and being active there, there was a whole um uh understanding that that was going to impact uh whether or not you experience disease but of course then they started come up with well that's cold and flu season that's why that's when the viruses are that's right you know present that's, so they created that's the viruses. It's not because of the yeah. temperature it's yeah. it's these things are, are partying at that time i guess yeah. and they're yeah. it's a free-for-all i can remember are you even the uh, some of the old jane austen movies which i love those period pieces i mean it was very commonplace when they talked about when the weather changed that that people would get sick I mean, they just did because, you know, they, they did. I guess they cool air. Well, they didn't really get sick. They were just detoxing, right? But Jane didn't know. She, uh, she thought they got sick. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Exactly. They, they, and that's the thing. They didn't look for, uh, you know, these invisible entities to explain disease. They just knew that 
at these times, these periods of times that they're more prone to experiencing symptoms of disease when it was colder out or uh, when they were experiencing less light, uh, when they were less physically active. Uh, You know, it it wasn't something that they needed to uh, explain away through bacteria or fungus or viruses. They they knew that there was going to be some changes in the body. And and, you know, that's where these old uh, wives tales of like just bed rest or some chicken noodle soup and everything. And you'll feel better. You yeah. just need to give your body that chance to adjust and recharge. You know, I was thinking now just it's not much longer than 100 and year, 125 years ago uh, before cars and airplanes. I mean, we didn't go anywhere, really. We just right? we just hung around. Maybe we went uh, to California to get gold or something. But it took, you know, like you know, four months, five months to get there. <laughs> it wasn't like a drastic change. I, I was wondering, do we know when this whole virus germ thing started? Do, do, do we, like when it, the is, years? Like, like when people well, yeah, start I mean, to it, really think that there was a virus out there going to get me. Do we know when that started? Yeah, viruses in particular didn't really start to become a thing until like the early 1900s. Really? But hmm. yeah, so... Uh, it's relatively new. I mean, when you're speaking in the history of things, this, this idea of these pathogenic viruses that, that can invade our body. Um, I believe bacteria, if I remember correctly, was probably in the mid to late 1800s with Pasteur and, and Robert Koch, um, mm-hmm. their experiments uh, where they tried to prove uh, pathogenic bacteria. Um, you know, they even created a, a series of steps Robert Koch, the German Koch. bacteriologist, mm-hmm. did, you know, Koch's postulates, the four steps that needed to, to be satisfied in order to prove bacteria cause disease. Well, they never were able to prove using those steps. Never. Um, really briefly, like the first one is that, um, so Koch said, if a microbe is going to cause disease, and these are just logic-based, right? So if a microbe is going to cause disease, it should be found only in those who are sick and not in those who are healthy mm-hmm. that makes sense right yeah sure. if you're if you're going to have something that causes disease you shouldn't find it in healthy people i mean that's uh just makes sense well every bacteria i've looked into you find that they're always found in healthy people all the bacteria the, the, that they, yeah, they talk about i i have yet to see one even anthrax this was the one that someone huh. just came out to me and is like Oh yeah, well, what about anthrax? Show me where they found anthrax in healthy people. And so I looked it up, and there were some studies in the '60s where they were at this uh, these mills where people were working in areas where they were breathing in anthrax spores, and that's supposed to be like one of the worst breathing in anthrax spores. No one got sick. Like the, the it was very low. There was like a, only a few that ever came down with symptoms, and and I believe it was like either 14 or 16 out of 100 people that, that they checked for this this anthrax bacterium and they found in healthy people. Huh. So they, these people were entirely healthy, not sick whatsoever, and they had this bacterium in them. And so right there, it fails that first postulate. You can't satisfy, you, you cannot say that that's a cause of disease when you're finding it in healthy people. You're, you're just, this, they're, they're basically doing a causation equals, or correlation causation. causation. Huh you know, which we know is faulty. Um, 
That was just one of Koch's postulates. That was just one. That was just one of Koch's postulates. So then, uh, what yep. was the second that one? That was just one of them. Mm -hmm. The second one is that they have to be these these microorganisms must be grown in a pure culture, a, which means that you have it so that it's just that microbe that you're you have on hand. No, nothing else is along with it. Okay, you know mm -hmm. you can just study that bacterium. These are these are created for bacteria, but they they and ended up trying to apply to viruses and they couldn't fulfill them for viruses either. In any case, in a lot of these um, bacteriums too, they could not grow them in pure cultures, and so many of them cannot satisfy even the second postulate. Hmm. So we're already off to a bad start. Dude. And then the third one is that. Uh, you're supposed to take that pure culture and introduce it to a host, host a healthy host, right? Mm -hmm. So an animal or a human, and then make it sick with the same symptoms of disease. Well, they couldn't do that all the time either. Like uh, Coke failed miserably with cholera. Um, not only did he find the cholera bacteria in healthy people, he could not make animals or himself sick with the bacterium, even though he could grow it in a pure culture. He had pure cultures of this stuff, drank it, couldn't make himself sick. He had like just a few mild symptoms. Uh, he couldn't make animals sick. There are other researchers at the time that actually took even more of this pure cholera bacteria and drank it. They didn't come down with any disease or anything. So, wow. you know, it, it really, virology started because they continually disproved bacteria as a causative agent of disease. Even though you still hear that today, that they proved bacteria as disease-causing agents, they never did, never did, at least not to their own criteria. Wow. And so they had to come up with another idea. They, they had to come up with something else that was smaller than bacteria that had to be what was in these fluids causing disease. And so this idea of a virus was created before they even could see the particles that they assumed were a virus. They, they had no direct evidence that these things even existed. They just came up with this concept. I actually just recently was looking through this. Um, someone had told me uh, to look through this uh, Fields virology textbook. Like all the evidence for the existence of viruses is in there. You'll find it. Well, the very first chapter talks about the, uh, the fact that viruses started off as a concept, an idea. An idea. They had no evidence for it. Wow. Fields for biology, yeah. and, and they and it they say right there in there that they just came up with this idea that there was a virus. Somebody came yes, up because they could not prove the bacteria, bacteria as causative agents based on Koch's postulates. So oh. they started looking for something smaller than bacteria that they assumed were the cause of disease. And and what you have to understand hmm. too is when they're talking in these experiments that they're you know causing disease in animals. They're doing it not in a way that would be natural, like how one would assume a bacteria or a virus would, would infect someone, like whether it's on a piece of uh, fruit or something like, oh, mm -hmm. I ate some strawberries that had hepatitis A on it, and I got right. hepatitis A, that, that is one, of the, or, you know, salmonella on some sort of uh, uh, piece of meat or something. You know, they're taking and, and um, they'll, they'll take bacteria and, different, and, and add different uh, substances and chemicals to it. And then they inject it in ways like directly into the stomach or through the throat. Um, past year with rabies, you know, he would grind up the brains of uh, rabid animals, so-called rabid animals, and then inject it in the brains of healthy animals. And 
then if they started drooling because they had you know the hole drilled in their head that was proof that it was rabies there was a virus when they had no evidence so the, these ways that they would try to experimentally recreate disease was not natural you know these are just lab created effects that they're trying to mimic what they would see and then claim that they proved it when it didn't even come close to what they were observing in nature amazing so so Pasteur was behind this whole thing that they, they mandate by law that you have to give your, your dogs and rabies shots? Pasteur was the culprit behind that whole thing? Well, he's the culprit behind, like, claiming that there was a rabies virus. I see. Yes. Wow. Yeah. He's, and, you know, he's the one that's behind pasteurization sure. and that everything has to be sterile. Yeah. Um, he's the one that, uh, you know, very, very much popularized the idea that there's a specific germ for every disease. And, um, you know, he was a fraud. Yeah. <laughs> they outright admitted. That's, that's what I hear. That's, yeah. that's the funny thing. I mean, his, his notebooks, he wanted to be kept hidden from the world. He wanted no one seeing his private notebooks. And uh, luckily, his grandson, I think, is either his grandson or his great-grandson or something like that, eventually is like, screw it, and just released them. And, and one of the leading pasture researchers got a hold of him and, and looked at him and said, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of fraud going on here. He, he was cooking the books. I, I've read that he was cooking the books on a lot of stuff just to prove his his theories. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. Yep. And, you know, even the funny thing is, even with rabies, you know, he was uh, at his at the time, there were a lot of people that were challenging him on this. Like, it's not the a virus that is creating the, the symptoms of disease. It's your vaccine. Because mm. that's what he did. He created a vaccine. He was giving it to animals and different things. And they're like, that's, it's not a virus. You're doing this. It's your vaccine. You're injecting poisons into these people or these animals, and that's causing the symptoms, which they admit to. They admit the rabies vaccine is very toxic and causes the exact same symptoms of disease that are associated with rabies. And so he had to actually defend himself hmm. uh, in these in investigations and say, well, no, it's not my vaccine. There's... There's such cases called fake rabies that these people might be experiencing from. Uh, and he associated with people who are drunk. You know, if people were drunk, they could come down with the exact same symptoms of rabies or even anyone that was uh, afraid that they would get these symptoms could manifest these symptoms. And so uh, he himself admitted that there was no virus that was necessary in order for people to display the symptoms called rabies. All you needed to do is be drunk or drugged up or intoxicated or afraid. <laughs> or afraid. Mike Stone is with us. Uh, stay right there, Mike. We're going to talk about our website in a minute. Then we're going to tell you about Mike's uh, uh, work and how you can get his newsletter. You got a little thing there. I think uh, I do six bucks a month. And so Mike goes to, goes to Starbucks on me once a month. That's kidding. Yeah, the way we do things here at One Radio Network is, well, we've been just playing with the idea of how are we going to be sustainable moving forward with a little fundraiser that you all really are just so grateful that you helped us with because our sales, product sales, were our means of support for 15 years. Seriously. I mean, we just sold products and affiliate, and we made a commission every time we sold, and we did fine. And, you know, we, we, nobody gets rich at this business like writing a book, you don't get rich, but you make your house payment, everybody's happy, you buy your food, and you go down the road. Well, then it just started getting weird the last three, four, five months, and 
sales just, phew, it's crazy. But so we've been reworking and figuring out how we're going to do this thing. And we got some ideas we're working on. But for now, the way you can support us, if you like what we do, is simply uh, to purchase some of the products that we promote. But if you don't need anything, well, then you don't want to buy it. You can uh, send us 10 or 20 bucks a month or 10 bucks or whatever you want. Just go to the uh, One Radio Network on the donation page and you can sign up for a monthly thing, whatever you want. You know, five bucks, 10, whatever you want. So people have been doing that and that's really cool. So we appreciate it. But just a quick rundown of some of the great products that we have. We have some of the best ones that we know of. Shen Blossom, uh, this is a Chinese medicine fellow and he has... Um, things like Hiushu Wu and, and ginseng, uh, ginseng, like like 50-year-old ginseng. It's crazy. Good stuff. Then uh, Sir Thrival, Daniel Vitalis, with the colostrum. He has the pine pollen on sale using promo code RESTORE. One of the best things we know how to detox is to get in our little sauna. I'm in there every night. You can do a sauna. Uh, we recently had uh, Gerald Pollock on. And he suggests that this infrared rays technology is one of the main reasons help the body to cause the cause the fourth phase of water in your in your body, which he says is really cool, and which kind of pumps the heart, as Dr. Cowan talks about. Uh, we have um, pearl seum. It's a wonderful product made from real pearls. Real pearls. Yep, they show them sad movies, and the pearls cry. Just getting there. Sad movie. So check this out. You can brush your teeth with it, or you can also do it internally. It has target proteins, but also some great uh, forms of calcium from a living source. As Max Planck Institute said years ago, you don't want to do anything other than a living source, otherwise your body will throw up. A pure organic sulfur, it's a great product, and it's one of the few sulfurs that doesn't have any tagalongs in there. So we sell that. You can order that. And then finally, I think, oh, we got two more. Uh, one of the uh, great products, um, Air Doctor. This is like a little R2-D2 thing. It looks like a, uh, your, your computer. It's very small and runs very quietly, but it really cleans up the air. And it's very um, technologically advanced where it speeds up when you, when you cook something where you get some odors in there. And uh, it's really a fun product. Finally, if you like hydrogen, we, we think hydrogen technology is one of the future things going on as far as running your cars and your buses and your planes. We think they're going to use more hydrogen than anything. It's very powerful. and um, But you can use it to breathe or drink the water, making pure um, molecular hydrogen. It's a great, uh, great company. Uh, this company, this product is made in Japan, and they're probably the leading the leading go-getters when it comes to hydrogen technology in Japan. So cool stuff. It's on our website, One Radio Network. Thanks for your support. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. And Mike Stone is with us with V-I-R-I-O-L-I-E-G-Y. What do you have on your website and how can people support you? on there huh? uh well the the main website the virology.com uh typically you, you'll find a lot of there's some introductory articles and stuff like that but i try to keep it um 
mostly tied to like the actual scientific studies and and why they really aren't producing scientific evidence. So I, I typically cover many of the different viruses out there, um, like the foundational papers on these viruses. So whether it's SARS-CoV-1, SARS-CoV-2, chickenpox, uh, you know, any of those, you can go through and you can find these papers and I break down why they're lacking in scientific evidence. Um, and there, there's other articles on there as well, like about antibodies. I, I go through the history on, on antibody research and mm. um, genom genomics. We go into there a little bit too. So it, it, there's a, a bunch of different topics that you can find on that site. Um, I created a Substack, which is what you were talking about earlier. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a newsletter. Um, and it wasn't meant to be a second blog, but that's basically what it morphed into. Um, and so on the Substack, it's just mikestone.substack.com. Uh, you'll find I, I've delved into bacteria a lot more mm -hmm. on that site and, and some more of the science, like uh, what is scientific evidence, what's pseudoscience, uh, um, different things along those lines. I, I do plan on transferring. People have been saying, well, why don't you transfer these articles onto virology so they're all in one place? I do plan on transferring like the bacteria and a lot of the science mm -hmm. stuff on, onto virology. I just been a little swamped recently, but uh, so it's a little mixed. But you can find a, a, some different information at the Substack that you might not find at the virology site. Uh, but eventually, I do plan to merge a lot of those articles. And then folks can get all the good stuff by doing just a little monthly thing for a few bucks. How does that work? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you want to do the um, the the paid subscriber that that was set up so originally my idea there was a lot of people that were donating just you know just yeah. out of their their own kindness to the virology website to keep it up and running and so i created that that's what i saw about the Substack was actually originally my idea as like a way to give back to anyone so i was like if you're gonna donate i want to give you a little something sure. extra yeah and and so that's what i was doing i was just going to give some behind the scenes and uh, take some of my old posts and and kind of spruce them up a bit, put them on there. Um, but it ended up morphing into more of a, a, a blog. But yeah, if if people do want to pay, it, it gives them early access. So I figured that's a nice way to give people who pay a, a sure. an extra bonus. So they have a week early access to each article. Um, and then there's a series that I've been doing on there called Uncovering the Corona Fraud, where I've gone through uh, a lot of my old posts from uh, the beginning of this pan pandemic in quotations, uh, just uh, looking at a lot of the news articles and, and stories that were out there at the beginning. And I collected them all uh, basically by month uh, and and added some extra commentary on there. Uh, people can find those on my Facebook page, page if they don't want to pay, but I just added some extra commentary and, and made it easier to find them all in one place. Yeah. Well, folks, it's important to to support folks like Mike Stone and Sam Bailey and and myself and Cowan and uh, because how else are we going to make a living? I mean, we, we have to we have a house payment too, so you know it's it's exchanging value for value, right? And just so you know, yeah. think about it when you're when you're getting all this information and say, well, maybe I should send them a few bucks, and you know, that's that's the way I do. So I read yeah, this it, and the, every little bit helps. But yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, yeah. I do plan to. Um, I'm hoping, I think I put this out there. And I put this out there because it keeps me honest about it, too. I'm going to be doing writing a book. 
Huh? I've already been in the starting processes of writing this book, um, but it's going to take a little more time and effort. And so, you know, it, it's it's a juggling job just trying to do the two blogs in the book, but uh, the the donations definitely do help. So I am very appreciative of Me anyone too. who does uh, does do that. And I, I want to try and give back as much as I can for anyone who, who well, for everyone, but anyone who does that yeah. too. So. Me too, baby. New York Post yesterday. COVID cases up 55% in New York. Doctors warn of a new variant, and they have a name for it. Uh, let's see what it is. It's a, well, I don't know. No, dub e -G it's like e -R -I -S. E No, this one is EG5. Oh, no, R-E-R-I-S. E -R -I -S, yeah. yeah, that's... <laughs> they got two names for it. You got to have two. Of course. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming... I haven't looked into it yet, but I'm assuming Eris is probably some sort of mythological greek creature because that's right. what they were naming a lot of these after wow. so i don't know i just i i saw when when you said that i started smiling like oh i was gonna look into that before because <laughs> i figured you might bring that up because you know they've got to get the push for the boosters we're, we're getting up to the fall booster campaign wow. so we got to start bringing some fear that there's a new variant coming out that they're gonna need this new bivalent booster to protect them against okay from the new york state department of health so I'm trying to understand, have you really thought about who are these people and where are they getting their orders from? And do they, do they sit around drinking coffee or scotch and say, we just don't need to come up with a new one? Or do you think they really think there is one? What's your theory on that? Do you, do you think they really think there I'm is? sure there's a mixture of it. Yeah. But I mean, if you look at a lot of this data, it goes to the you know a central place. Like um, the, the variants are all going into the... Is it called the GIS GISAID database? So there's like, last I checked, over like almost 16 million different variants, mm -hmm. and and so you know they have to get these things. Um, there, there's there's people that will look to see how many of these sequences are, are present. They estimate it, and they're like, well, well, this one's out there 16 percent of the time, so this is the the major dominant one. But then there's all these other ones that. I mean, it's it's just a a lot of it, in my opinion, is molecular tricks. You know, yeah. they they've convinced people that these sequences, or you know, these sequences are based on an original sequence that never came from a virus. They they never proved that the original, original. SARS-CoV-2 sequence. Mm -hmm. They never found a whole sequence intact. They they just assembled random bits of RNA from the unpurified. Bronchial, I can never say the word bronchoalveolar fluid or something. Whatever that stuff is, whatever yeah. it is, the bowel fluid. <laughs> um, and they they assembled a, a a genome and said, "Well, this is the virus," but they never had the particles. They never purified and isolated any particles that were actually said to belong to that genome. And they never took these particles and actually proved that they were pathogenic in uh, adherence to the scientific method. You know, they never established this cause and effect relationship. And when you look back at these early studies, they admit, uh, again, we go back to Koch's postulates. They admit they never actually satisfied Koch's postulates. I believe two of the main studies admit to this. And the part that they said that they did not fulfill or they did not satisfy was that they could not prove pathogenicity. Another word I can't say. <laughs> so they could not they prove, prove that 
they had no evidence that these particles that they didn't have were actually pathogenic. It's all just um, in silico, created in a computer. They have this computer readout they say belongs to the particle. They will eventually do some sort of cell culture experiment and find some particles uh, that they claim are the virus that this genome belongs to, but there's nothing linking the two of them. There's absolutely no evidence that the particles that they pick out in these electron microscope images belong to the, you know, Frankenstein genome that they put together from this single patient. And all these variants that have come out afterwards are built on this fraudulent foundation. Fascinating. And so, so yeah. are there? There's nobody that questions this stuff. I mean, there's 25 or 50 of you around the world that are really questioning it. You know, your group. What do you call you? Do you guys have a group or meetings or anything? You're not virus. No, everyone calls us the no virus. The no group, virus but, group. Okay, uh, let's just call it that. Yeah, yeah it's better than team, virus team denier. No virus yeah, is it's better than virus deniers. Yeah, I don't like that word denier. Yeah. Kind of negative. No. So, is there anybody out, anybody else out there other than you know virus guys and girls that are saying, "Hey, baby, this is all made up." I mean, do people, I guess, around the world just believe all this stuff? It's crazy. I think they've done a wonderful job selling it. Wow. You know, I mean, they've had uh, decades to, to really indoctrinate everyone, anyone into believing mm-hmm. that it is these pathogens that are causing disease. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, it's so simple when you really think about it, when you think logically. That's why I thought that uh, idea of the vacation and why we get sick is so easy to see. Mm-hmm. We know that these factors all exist that lead us to be run down and to eventually succumb to symptoms of disease. You don't have to bring in an imaginary immune system or pathogen and pathogens to explain why we're experiencing disease. That's, that's not necessary. You know, there's the there's Occam's razor. You're all, look for the simplest explanation. Is the simplest explanation that these pathogens are uh, striking us at the right time because our immune system is down and they're able to invade our body and proliferate and cause disease? Or is it that we simply just ran our bodies down through a series of steps, whether it's through the long hours of travel, the lack of sleep, the eating the different foods and all this stuff, and we just need to give ourselves a chance to recharge? You know, So I think it's a big part of it is that people have shut off that logical part of their, their brain that says, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I ran myself down. I did everything Mm -hmm. possible at this point in time. Or, you know, I'm not even saying it's just on vacation, just whenever it is that they get sick. If they look back and think of the either either the the weeks, days, weeks, or months leading up to when they got sick and they look at the state of their life, what they are doing at that time, whether they, you know, they're eating healthy, they're getting enough sleep, if they're overly stressed, or, you know, what it is in their environment that could have potentially led to them coming down with symptoms of disease they would realize that there's probably a very good explanation for why they're going through this. Yes, and it sir. doesn't have to involve uh, an immune system, a virus, or a bacteria. These are unproven, scientifically unproven concepts that are the story that we have been told for why we're experiencing disease, and they're just not backed up by any sort of scientific evidence. So how can you explain to people who read an article like this that say they're now doing 100 admissions a day on this new virus, Eris, um, why are they admitting these people? I mean, people. Why are they what? Why are they admitting them to the hospital? Why, how? How do oh, they admitting them to the hospital? Yeah. Huh? I mean, it very well could just be that they, you know, they're coming down with the same symptoms that I mean, 
look at COVID. It, COVID is the disease. What is COVID? You know, if you try to ask, I've talked to a lot of different microbiologists and, and biologists on Twitter, and I ask them, what is COVID? Define it for me. They can't do it. There's no new or specific symptom of disease. There's no new laboratory markers or anything Nothing. that they can use to actually diagnose what COVID is. It's just the respiratory. It's respiratory symptoms of disease. And unfortunately with COVID, it runs the gamut of no symptoms of disease all the way to like the very worst pneumonia and death. Mm -hmm. And I was joking about it with someone just yesterday because um, we were talking about syphilis and leprosy. And I don't know if you know much about them, but they're hear, like syphilis. Yeah was given the name The Great Imitator because it has basically any symptom known to man, syphilis is associated with. Like you can have, uh, you know, uh, whatever symptom, and if they peg you with their inaccurate test and say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's syphilis. Well, why? How do you know it? It's The Great Imitator. It mimics them all, all the diseases. Well, there's lots of diseases called The Great Imitator. There's tuberculosis. There's leprosy, lupus, uh, Lyme disease. But guess what else is called the great imitator? COVID. Hmm. It's even from early April 2020, they were saying, well, this disease mimics them all. And so there is no defined disease. If it can mimic everything, you know, it, they can take anyone with any symptom, label them with an inaccurate test and say that's a case of COVID when it's just basically someone going through the same exact seasonal symptoms that they normally would have. Right. And maybe they're going to the hospital and they're they're now saying, oh, there's a new variant out. So we have to increase the testing. And so then they're getting pegged with this in inaccurate test that was never developed using an actual purified isolated virus. You're talking about the PCR test. So so people could show right. up with symptoms yep. like flu like symptoms or whatever, which we know are a detox. Correct. And then they give them the PCR right. test and they say, baby, you got covid go in the hospital and we're going to put you on remdesivir and a ventilator and you may never make it out of here. Wow. Exactly. You know, what's interesting. Wow. Um, I've been looking into the, like the history of uh, snake oils salesmen and yeah. what happened to them and stuff like that and how our whole medical system was established and hospitals. People don't realize this back when they were originally built they were known as notorious death traps. Really? Like people knew if you go to a hospital, you're not coming out of there. It's basically a death sentence. Okay. And that's where all these surgeries were performed and they were injecting people with, you know, uh, heavy metals like mercury and um, arsenic and different things as uh, cures. And they weren't. They're actually, you know, making people sick. But they ended up uh, having a very successful in the early 1900s advertising campaign where they, they borrowed from like the tactics of the snake oil salesmen to sell hospitals and say, this is where you need to go if you're experiencing disease. We're going to cure you. Don't listen to these people with their products. Don't go to anyone who's practicing holistic health practices or chiropractors, naturalists, right. herbalists. Come to the hospital. We're not, you know, huh. we're not a notorious death trap. Come to us. We'll fix you up. And and then are the you know the American Medical Association, the Rockefeller, Carnegie, all of them got involved, and that became our model. Wow. And, and that's what we accept today. But people don't realize that. Um, you know, our allopathic model is they admit it's the third leading cause of death, you know, in the U.S. And there's a really good case to be made that it's actually the number one because the number one and two are uh, 
was it heart disease and cancer. Right. And you can probably make a really good case that our allopathic model is what's causing the heart disease and the cancer. Sure, because I don't think they understand cancer. They certainly don't understand heart disease. What causes it, right. you know, the dietary and lifestyle and all the other stuff, the drugs. Um, wow. May- well, they, they have a really good scam going on with cancer now where well, it's, it's all preventative, right? But you have mm. to come in for these preventative treatments. we got to catch it earlier. It might not be causing you any symptoms, but if we find it, right. then that's when we got to either cut it out of you or we're going to put you on these toxic chemicals. And then when you start coming down with disease, well, it, the, we must not have gotten it in time. It mm-hmm. must have spread. It wasn't our chemotherapy. It wasn't the radiation that we put you on. It's We just didn't get in in time. I mean, they've got a really good racket on how they can sell their poisons and, and get people to be afraid and going for this preventative care and, and end up actually creating the disease that was never there to begin with. And they're always trying to convince them, God loving these ladies, to do all of these tests on their breasts and lumps and they want to cut on them, and it's just, it's just horrible what's going on. Terrible. Well, and that's the thing. Like, lumps, uh, you know, it's, I believe, and I haven't really looked into this as much as I would like to, but uh, they're, they're common in women, but they've taken them and, and say, say that these lumps are cancerous, and then they have to go and they're either cut off their breasts or go under chemotherapy and radiation. And that's what ends up killing them. Sure. It's not the, the cancer in a lot of these cases. It's the treatments. But, uh, you know, even just the, the fear or the threat of cancer and telling someone that they're diagnosed with cancer can bring about disease. Oh, I mean, people imagine? forget how powerful the mind is. And, and that's why I'm saying this indoctrination that's been built enough. They've been they've done a great job over these years to really to get us to fear pathogens, to fear anything that's out of the normal, which your body might take care of on its own. Like um, I was reading because I have an uncle who succumbed to lung cancer and I was reading at the time when he was diagnosed. I'm like, did they diagnose him accurately or, or are these just, you know, they're looking at images of an X-ray and they, they sit there and they pick out any abnormality and say, oh, that's cancer. Well, you look into a vast majority of these cancers, these lung cancers are misdiagnosed or overdiagnosed. And you find that with breast cancer and all these things. They openly admit that people are being put on treatments that they never should have been in the first place. And that if if they were left alone, either one of two things, one, their body would have handled it or it never would have progressed to the point that they might have died a natural death before anything ever would have happened. So if anything, these cancer treatments are speeding up people's deaths based on uh, potentially fraudulent diagnoses. And more and more we're seeing, uh, certainly more people I talk to are are really advising just, you know, kind of meat and potatoes folks like you and I to do these blood tests or, you know, it's very dangerous. I mean, they're going to always find something that's it's high or low, right? I mean, always. They're going to always find something, you know, whatever. Yeah. HDL, LDL. I mean, come on. They're, Blood pressure. That's the big one for me. That's that's one of them that really opened my eyes to all really? this is that just a, a, a reading, a momentary reading in time. And they'll, they'll claim that if it's high, well, we got to put you on this medicine. So you keep going back. Does it really lower it? Not that much. So guess what? We got to put you on another medicine. Medicine. I got to the point where they wanted me on three different medicines to control my blood pressure. I'm like, you know, if the first two aren't doing it, why are you going to think a third one's going to do it? And it, it really is this 
healthy or am I suppressing a natural response that my body needs at this time? Right. And you look into the literature in the past, like doctors were absolutely against the idea of high blood pressure. They're like, that's ridiculous. You can't restrict everyone to one size fits all really low number. I mean, the, the, the idea or the, 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 um, in the past, it was like, I believe it was 140 minus your age was, or is it one, whatever it is. No, 100 plus your age. Sorry. That okay. was the, the normal top number. And then um, I can't remember how they came up with the diastolic and systolic. Sorry. It's been a long time since I looked right. into that. But so, they even said like anything, like even 200 over whatever was the normal blood pressure. Uh, like doctors were like, don't try to suppress this. It's a natural adaptative response that your body has to go through. And all you're doing by suppressing that is you're just going to make things worse. And lo and behold, we're having more heart attacks now than we used to. And do you think the the, the number when you were dealing with it, could you see that it was going up and down depending on the day? Um, oh, yeah. It was very yeah, I, I started monitoring my blood pressure even Did with you? the monitor during the day. And I, I noticed just from deep breathing, I could lower my blood pressure. <laughs> yeah. Just 15 minutes of deep breathing is all I needed. I could lower it naturally. Hmm. Yeah, it's just it's a stress response. And who's not stressed out when you're going to the doctor? Yeah. It's a stressful situation. <laughs> Is he going to give me another I, medicine? I had that white, you know, they call it the white coat syndrome. I, I had that. I was always nervous going to the doctor. I'm like, oh, what are they going to find today? You know, and that that raises your blood pressure just from that. And then I also found too that every time they were doing my reading, they were always a lot of them were talking. And they're like, you're not, you, you know, that's one of the rules is you're not supposed to be asking like me, I'm not supposed to talk, mm-hmm. but they would be asking me questions while I'm getting my blood pressure read and I'm talking, I'm not relaxed. I'm like sitting up in a, a really, you know, awkward position on this bed that you're supposed to lay down in. I'm sitting up and it just is an uncomfortable situation. And so then they take this one snapshot and say, well, it's high. So we need to put you on these medicines just to get you lower. And then you look at all these stories, too. I don't know if you've noticed, but it's like almost every other month we see a story that these blood pressure medications have carcinogens found inside of them, and they're actually really toxic. (laughs) Yeah. So what was the point when you, Mike Stone, decided, I'm not going to do this, uh, this medicine stuff, and how did you you deal with any kind of of the mind producing some kind of fear or angst about the blood pressure being high? How did you deal with that? Yeah, it was, it was, there was fear. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sure. lie. I understand. I, when I started looking into it, the, the, at least for me, when I started really delving into blood pressure, I, I read this great book called the, the high blood pressure hoax. Mm-hmm. By, I, I believe it's Sherry Rogers. Sherry Rogers. If I yeah. Correctly I mean, yeah. Probably. A woman. Yeah, probably. Her. And it was an excellent book. Yeah. And it really dispelled the, the, the myth for me or, or the hoax on blood pressure. And then there's a really excellent chiropractor that you can find on uh, YouTube, a really smart guy named, by the name of John Bergman. And I was listening to his uh, talks on the whole high blood pressure hoax. And so I started monitoring myself regularly. And like I said, I would do deep breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. I tried turmeric for a while as an anti-inflammatory, which was supposed to help with um, uh you know, lowering blood pressure and different things like that and inflammation. And, um, I ended up realizing, I believe it's more of a mental state, really. It's it's, your, your blood pressure is going to range throughout the day. There's going to be times where it's high. There's going to be times where it's low, but even when you look at some of the studies, like people that were having heart attacks, 
a lot of, there's a lot of cases where you can see that they're low blood pressure that mm. they're suffering heart attacks from mm. and so i believe that we're creating problems when we're trying to artificially control a process that the body um you know it's an additive response that the body is trying to go through it needs to increase and decrease this pressure depending on the situation that we're in depending on our stress levels and all that stuff um so we get into trouble when we try to control that artificially yeah i just really and the more more and more people that i talk to mike on my show for what it's worth just uh you know natural folks around the around the world uh more and more I'm hearing that these numbers that they put out there saying is dangerous and you're going to die, it's just not true. They're just, they just make it up. You know, they just make it up. They don't have the science behind it. Yeah, they don't. And, and that's, that's just out there. I mean, you'll find other articles that combat those numbers, you know, saying, Oh, they're just trying to restrict it. It's way too low. I I believe like, isn't it like 115 over 75 is the recommended blood pressure now or something like that. And, yeah, I mean, you can keep going lower and lower and lower, and guess what? You can have a heart attack with a low blood pressure. You can have a heart attack with a high blood pressure. Um, and so, to me, what I really tried to do to focus on controlling it was just doing what I could um, naturally, whether it's through exercise, diet, you know, stress release, uh, relief. Breathing, um, whatever. Finding whatever I could at the time that was necessary I don't necessarily believe you need supplements, but I'm sure there are some things that you can take, like I said, turmeric or uh, I, people say that eating a banana for the potassium is, is good for you and different things like that. So, you know, you can try some of these things and just get your nutrition on track, relieve your own stress, get enough rest throughout the day, and you can control your blood pressure naturally. It's not, it's not, but they, they get people into this game of really fearing numbers. And you see that with the HIV AIDS hoax, yeah. you know, they, they get people to fear their viral load numbers or their their CD4 counts and stuff like that. And you can find literature showing that there are entirely healthy people with low CD4 counts. Hmm. You know, that's that's the marker. The, the CD4 is the marker that you have AIDS, right? Full-blown AIDS. Well, there are people that have no AIDS, no health problems, and they have low CD4 counts. So they have these nonspecific markers that they try to associate with disease, and the evidence just isn't there. Just isn't. You know, it's interesting. I, I more and more I'm seeing little tidbits. It it appears that they, whoever they are, are going to do this whole HIV thing and try to run this up the flagpole again. Have you seen some of the stuff out there? Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, that, that was uh, really Fauci's brainchild in the 80s, and obviously you saw a lot of those same tricks played out through the whole COVID hoax down to the PCR tests, antigen tests, antibody tests, and and everything. I mean, they, they can flip these. It, the problem is we've gotten to a point where it's all tests. It's all molecular-based tests. And and if you convince enough people to go get tested, you're going to find cases. It's just like going to the doctor. You go to the doctor, they're going to do something to find a problem more often than not. And so um, it's, it's just a matter of trying to get re- people to realize that these tests are not accurate and they're not designed to do what they say or claim to do. That's they important. were never validated to actual viruses. Yeah. The, the evidence for the viruses does not exist. The actual validation of the PCR test to an actual virus does not exist. They created these things. They admitted to create these tests without actual viruses. Here's and so, uh, just finding 
getting a positive test is absolutely meaningless unless you really believe in those results, which is what that fear propaganda has really done is sell people on the fact that that positive result means something. With Mike Stone, and see, I can't even say it now. Say it for me. (laughs) Virology. Virology. That's how you say it, virology. From Michael, thanks for having Mike on. I always enjoy it when you talk to him. Uh, So he... He wants to know, it's kind of long, I'm going to gonna paraphrase it here. Sure. Um, the, the, does he, do you think that the modern medical community, as he calls it, will ever admit that they were wrong about the virus? I mean, really, do you think they probably never will, Mike Stone, right? They never will. Uh, not unless we get enough <laughs> people to start really openly questioning this. I, right. and I, I believe we're making headway. I really do. I think a lot of people are waking up to this. And um, I've seen it just through interactions on Twitter. There's so many people that are aware of this fraud. Really? Um, you know, I, I think if we can spread the message and keep getting it out there, um, you know, I think we're in a better posi- position today than the activists were in the 1980s when they were trying to wake people up to the HIV AIDS fraud. I think the more that they try this, they're, they're going to keep uh, overplaying their hand. And we're in a much better position now. We've got a lot of evidence um, showing the lack of scientific evidence for germ theory and virology today um, and compiled in different ways, whether it's through my site or whether it's on the end of COVID, you know, if people want to watch that, there's so much information wow, there what a trip that, that they thing. can find wow. out about. Was that a, was that a good success? The history of biology. The end of, the end of COVID? Was, did a lot of people... What's about that? The end of COVID, did a lot of people watch it? and and uh, From what I've understood, yes. Yes, I believe it was very successful. And uh, a lot of people have talked to me about it and said that they really enjoyed it and learned a lot. And to me, you know, I know a lot of this stuff. And I've always scratched the surface. I'd, I, I've been trying to catch up, and I've been watching the opening sessions. And just the opening, I watched, I believe, uh, four or five different sessions in the opening. I learned quite a few things that I didn't know about. Right. Yeah. And so, to me, that's a win. When I can learn, at least take one thing away from each presentation that I didn't know, uh, that's what I'm looking for. And I, I was, I've been really impressed by what Alex Zek and... Uh, Mike Winter and their team were able to pull off with this event. It, it to me, is extremely impressive. So I highly recommend people uh, checking it out. Uh, just I know there's going to be, you know, you can go on there and, and purchase it right now. Uh, I believe in a few months they probably will have another uh, free preview period for people who want to check it out and watch it and uh, for a little bit to see if they, they like it. But it's a lot of content, I'm not going to lie, but it's a lot of really um, – impressive content and i I really do think that the more we spread this message whether it's through like the end of covid or or the websites or um you know promoting the work of like you know dr bailey uh, both baileys dr cowan dr kaufman or um uh just other sources there's so many people out there now that that's the amazing thing there's so many people out there talking about this now that uh you know you can get this information in a lot of different ways, but it's just getting the people to actually take the t- time to look at it. Yeah, And so it's going to take an effort on all of us to, to try and open up as many eyes as we can. But I believe if we get to that point where enough of us are making a noise about this, then they have to eventually admit to, to what they're doing. Yeah, indeed. 
And what Mike's talking about is you can just go to the end of COVID, put that in Google's, and you'll see the end of COVID.com. I believe they're now charging very moderate. I think it's like 70 bucks or something for the whole thing. It's 90 hours, right? It's huge. And you can. Oh, yeah. It's over 100 hours of content, I believe. And then uh, on top of that, there's a lot of uh, materials, too. Like um, there's uh, this very impressive document that Jacob Diaz. Uh, he's one of the uh, co-hosts on, on throughout the end of COVID that he put together on uh, that uh, on like the failed contagion studies. Like you can have all these documents um, at your fingertips with a lot of this information. So it's not just videos. There's a lot of different um, uh, sources of information connected to these videos that you can find out too. So it's I, I was really impressed. I, I'm I'm blown away by what they they accomplished. And think about it, but, folks. If you, yeah, if I you mean, do, I, I think if we can continue to spread that, or even like uh, I don't know if you've seen the the viral delusion by my Michael Wallach, uh, which I've, was a great. I haven't seen that. Oh, it's an amazing documentary series that uh, he had put in. It's a five part documentary series. Um, yeah, you can find it. I'm sure you can just go to the, the viraldelusion dot com. I have an article about it on my site too. Um, you can find it there as well, but. Um, it, he, he did a great job of going through the history of uh, virology and, and this pandemic. And uh, he talked to different people like uh, Dr. Kaufman, Dr. Cowan, um, and, and others. And it's a, a really eye-opening documentary as well. What's his last name? Wallach. It's W-A-L-L-A-C-H. Michael Wallach. <laughs> the viral yeah. delusion. He'd be a great guest to have on yeah. sometime. He, yeah. He's very knowledgeable. Yeah. And it, was he involved in the COVID thing too? Or is he doing his the end, end of COVID? Of COVID? Thing? Yeah, I don't know. I don't if know. He was that's a good question. We'll check him out. There was like over a, a hundred people involved. So I apologize. I completely oh. forget who oh. who all was involved. I I know of my ten sessions that I I did, and and I uh, that's why I said there's so much in there that I don't even know about. I need to really take the time to discover. Yeah, really, really quite a project. Well, Mike Stone, yeah. I'm glad you had a good vacation. Next time you go to New Orleans, don't forget Thank the you. beignets and Cafe Du Monde. So we'll write that down for you. <laughs> I will do that. And I'm going to send you, and I'm going to, I'm going to send you all of the info we got on the whole First Amendment thing with the show we did last week, Supreme Court. So those of you that are out there just kind of skirting the line of saying things that people may not like, it's good to know that the Supreme Court recently said. You can say anything that you want. Nobody can stop you. The government can't stop you. Nobody. It's really a great Supreme Court case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to send that We're to protected. you. protected. That's good. Yeah. Our rights should be. Okay. Uh, the website, Virology. Uh, Mike uh, Stone. And Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. Always welcome here. Let us know if we can help with anything. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Patrick. It's always a pleasure. All right, sir. Take, Take care. care. Bye-bye. Mike Stone. He's a good guy, huh? Yeah, baby. Yeah, he is. Okay, we're going to take a little break here, have some lunch, and then also see what's going on in the world of something else, screenwriting or whatever else we're going to do. Going to get some more guests for uh, for next week. Always working on guests. Thanks for your support. Um, go to our website and look at some of the products. If you're watching on BitChute, we appreciate that, and uh, please click on the uh, hmm, subscribe button 
and they have that little bell thing there, and you click on that, and we'll notify you whenever we put up a new show like Mike Stone. Always good information. And also, we have under there our store. You can click on there and see some products that you might like. And then on the website, One Radio Network, we'll start putting a link on um, the donation tab, too, if you want to donate some bucks to us. That'd be great. We accept anything. Yuan, rubles. No, just kidding. Just $2. So I love you all very much. Thanks to Mike Stone. Thank you for your support. Take care of yourself. And we're going to see you Friday morning. Hannah's going to be back. She went on vacay. And we have a lot to talk about on Friday. So thank you. Let me know if I can help with anything. May the blessings be. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.